Hey, I'm Russ Bailey, and you're listening to Screen Playing, the podcast where I interview working screenwriters and ask them how they broke into Hollywood. Today, I'm here with Peter Filardi. Peter, how are you? Good, Russ. How you doing? I'm doing great. I, uh, I was thinking back about how we met and thinking back about uh, how we used to do lunches together. Um, right. I was remembering like the Gratitude Cafe, for example, like we would sit there. And for me, our lunches and our coffees that we used to have uh, were foundational to to my experience as a screenwriter. You inspired me. And uh, you're going to blame me. <laughs> I'm going to blame you for getting me into this mess. And right. I'm just so excited to have you on the show. Um, and almost like we're both drinking coffee right now, kind of recreating that experience for our listeners. Excellent. It's great to see you again. It's been a long time and 3,000 miles away now. So I know uh, you told me you, you recently, not recently, I guess it's been five, six years. You, you moved to Connecticut, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just, uh, uh, you know, I had done 30 years in Los Angeles, which uh, I, I highly recommend for any aspiring screenwriter. Uh, but it got to the point where most of the work I was getting was through relationships I'd already established. And uh, there just felt like there was less and less need to be there. And uh, so we moved back to a quiet little town, my wife and I, kind of where we're both from. And uh, the writing continues. Fortunately, uh, you know, in this era of Zoom, conferences and even zoom writers rooms for television um oddly enough the work didn't slow down uh for us and uh so it really is a whole new world uh for for writers Uh, something that a lot of writers that i work with ask is is it possible to be a screenwriter without living in la um, do you think that somebody that has, has never lived in LA could actually get a start here in, in this world? Or do you think you still need to live here? I think it'd be very difficult, to be honest. You know, it's sort of the cruel, cruel truth of my experience and, and my friends who wanted to be writers, you know, that you had to, you sort of have to throw yourself into the pool of wannabe writers and you meet people and you get your uh, people know people and people introduce you to an agent or a manager and that manager has drinks with that guy and that girl you know so i i I really feel like you have to dive in and rub elbows with people and put yourself in the best position to get lucky and I, I I know that I know there are exceptions to that rule. And, you know, some people do fine without coming out here. Maybe they can do it from New York or Paris or, you know, and they have careers that, you know, uh, tower over mine. But, you know, for just a hardworking Joe like me, who's trying to make a run of it, it really helped to be in Los Angeles. Yeah, I've been, uh, especially this year, I've been traveling a lot. I've spent about half the year 
uh, overseas. But for me, uh, again, at my point in my career, I feel like I still need to be here. Um, at least, you know, touch, you know, touching base. Uh, I know how talented you are. I know all the projects that you've worked on, but for somebody that's just listening to this show for the first time, uh, what are some movies and television shows that you've written on? I'm most known for writing Flatliners, the original um, film back in 1990. Uh, after that was The Craft, uh, which is sort of a teen witch film that was 96. Um, I've done some Stephen King adaptations uh, for television, uh, Salem's Lot for TNT. Um, I worked on Nightmares and Dreamscapes also for TNT, a bunch of, uh, and then um, I worked on MacGyver. That's how I got my start. <laughs> I worked on, um, and recent, most recently was showrunner on a series for epics called chapel weight which was inspired by stephen king's short story jerusalem's lot starring adrian brody and emily hampshire and uh now we're working away my brother and i to try to uh get season two going of that show that's incredible congratulations i'm kind of a horror horror guy or i i kind of see myself as more drama more it's kind of like a drama horror hybrid i i'm not like i've never really um you know cut my teeth in like the hardcore horror you know like a good old-fashioned stalker slasher thing i i've never really done one of the gotten one of those made yet although i've written a few do you think that a writer needs to kind of find their genre and really stick with it? Or do you think it is possible to bounce from genre to genre? I think you can bounce around a little bit. I, I, I think you can. You know, once you're sort of established once and enough that people will read your material, I, I think you can throw them whatever you have. I love that. You know, I, I mean, if you look at my projects that have gotten made you know most of them were um horror but i uh i have written some stuff that wasn't horror that got sold but didn't get made or those what what does it feel like to pour time you know months maybe years into something sell it and then again not have it made is for you is it still satisfying uh, is it unsatisfying? Uh, it's unsatisfying. It's definitely unsatisfying. It's not, you know, for me, it's not about the, you know, uh, really even the money. It's, it's. I mean, I, I believe me, I like money, but as much as the next person, but it's about getting them made, you know. it's. I, my love is cinema and moving pictures and sound and music and i love production i love interacting with all the department heads and and everybody on the crew i love you know eating off the craft service table and the you know uh, i love everything about it i like the the long hours and the craziness so and and then i i love the movie posters i like key art i mean i like i like i just want stuff made yeah but ultimately, we we both do this for the craft services. Is is what yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah. That's yeah. The breakfast uh, burritos. 
telling you, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like a breakfast burrito at four in the morning mm-hmm. uh, when you're when you're first to set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out of curiosity, when you write, do you always write as a team with your brother, or is it sometimes just solo? What's uh, uh, that's recent. That's okay. my brother and I is recent. You know, um, I uh, I would say for. 28 years I was solo mm-hmm. and then um but the last couple of years my brother uh who's written comedy stuff uh or is known mostly for that has always liked horror it has a dark and and we just said you know let's just try doing something together just for fun you know we we enjoyed each other's company and we were I, I consider him you know my best friend and 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 so we just started doing stuff together and, and it was fun for him because he got to do horror and I had a bit of a reputation in horror and and uh and it's just been fun. It's been good and it's been helpful, especially now that I'm living back east and he's still out there. And I have two teenage daughters who are, you know, require a lot of time and attention and things just go faster with two people so i'm kind of enjoying that for now we still do stuff on our own you know to keep to keep busy but um you know chapel weight was the first thing we did together that got made and um uh, and it was a great experience so we'll try to keep it going love that um kind of side note as well your wife is a writer as well correct yes yeah i married a screenwriter um, Claudia Grazioso is, um, she did the, are we, she did the, are we there yet, uh, franchise with Ice Cube. And, uh, she did one of, wrote one of the, uh, sequels to bring it on. Uh, she's done a couple of Hallmark movies, Christmas type stuff. And now she's up in Vancouver as we speak, show running. Uh, her own series uh, for Hallmark called Holidayzed. And uh, so I'm playing Mr. Mom uh, till Christmas. Could you tell me a little bit about how you got Chapel Weight made? What was the process there from concept to getting it started? Let's see. Um, we, my brother and I pitched Michael Wright uh, at Epic's and Nancy Cotton, um, some horror Western ideas, some splatter Western type stuff. And, you know, they'd expressed interest in that genre and trying to do something like that. And after our pitch, uh, we got a call from Michael and the head of the network there. And he said, you know, we're not going to do any of those. We're not going to buy any of those. But we have a short, a Stephen King short story. Uh, would you guys be interested in adapting that? Uh, you know, Donald DeLine, uh, a producer who just came in with it. He owns the rights. He wants to do a series. Uh, we've worked, He, the network had worked with Donald before. And he said, you know, would you like to try to do something with Donald on this? And we jumped at the opportunity and said, yeah, of course, you know, um, you just have such a, a better chance of getting something made when it's, you know, you have Stephen King 
brand attached. And also, even though it had been years since I read that story, um, I mean, I'm just, I'm a lifelong Stephen King fan, you know, I mean, Salem's Lot was the first book novel, I think I, adult novel, I think I ever read. And uh, so anytime I get to sort of jump into his world and try to, you know, ease into his mindset is it's just always a treat really it's a pleasure so we uh we developed the story's only 30 pages or so but so we developed a uh 10 hour story out of that uh which took some you know imagination and creative license and but the great thing was we would do you know we did the first episode and people liked it and Stephen King liked it you know he he had to read everything and sign off on it. And uh, and then that was a great sign. And then the big thing is, of course, now your script goes out uh, to casting. And uh, that has a lot to do with whether you get the green light or not. And um, the network had a list. We had a list. And top of our list was Adrian Brody, my brother and I. And uh, the network had doubts that we would get someone of his stature. Uh, but we believed in the script and we knew he would be awesome, awesome for it. So they got him the script and he happened to be up uh, mountain climbing in the Himalayas at the time. Amazing. They, I don't know how they got him the script up there, but they, you know, I guess electronically, but they got him the script. and. Uh, he read it and, you, you know, later we would joke that it was the high altitude, but uh, he agreed to do it. And uh, suddenly we had a, a go series, you know, and uh, we from there, you immediately um, form an, a writer's room. And uh, we had sort of they called a mini room. Uh, we only had one, two, four writers. And 10 weeks to write 10 episodes. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Absolutely crazy. But so now we didn't get all 10 written, but we got um, drafts of seven and, and sort of like treatments of the last three. We knew where we were going and we had drafts, good drafts of, of the first seven. Um, so then my brother and I just sort of keep going from there. Um, so that's how it goes down, you know, and then, uh, we went up to Halifax and started shooting up there in Canada, uh, during COVID, uh, which was, you know, a great place to be. They had low transmission rate. You could still sort of interact with human beings and uh we would wear a mask on set of course follow the protocols but um you know i didn't have to go through uh you know six or eight months locked down in my house like my wife and kids did you know i got to actually be out and about and interact with great creative people so it was all it was it was a fantastic experience 
to kind of rewind a little bit, was MacGyver the first show that you were on? Or did you sell a feature first? What, how did you break into Hollywood? What was your actual first writing assignment? MacGyver. Um, that was back, gosh, 87, I think. Um, let's see, how does it start? It doesn't start with selling a script. It starts way before that, you know. Um, it starts with writing. And and for me, I started, I, I went to, I was an English major at Boston University, and then I met kids who were studying film, and I immediately switched into that department and graduated with no idea what to do. Uh, but what I would do, I got a, you know, a job at a little ad agency driving a prop truck. Uh, but what I would do is write, I tried to write movie scripts, but it was too much for me, too much to, uh, bite off. And so I had, there were certain television shows that I really liked at the time, like Miami Vice. So what I would do is try to write episodes. So, uh, because, and it's so much easier because it's at those times, 60 pages instead of 120 or 110, uh, the characters, at least the leads are already established. You don't have to build your own characters for the most part, just sort of the sub characters. And, uh, and it was just a great introduction or stepping stone into trying to teach myself the craft of screenwriting. So I wrote two episodes of Miami Vice and showed them to people in, in, back in Boston. And they thought, oh, those are really good. Yeah, those are great. And I said, well, I'm going to drive out to Los Angeles and try to sell them. <laughs> so I jumped in my uh, grandmother's 78 Buick with two other guys and a pup tent and some sleeping bags. And we road tripped out to Los Angeles and uh couch crashed on some guy's couch who I knew from BU. And uh, I told everyone I was going to stay for three months and ended up staying for 30 years. But um, what happened was I decided to stay. I, I decided I really liked Los Angeles. I, I, I liked, I felt like this was where I had to be if I was really serious about getting going in this racket. First of all, you get out there with your scripts and no one will read them. So every writer or aspiring writer is going to face that. No one's going to read them. No one has time. Can't read it if you don't have an agent. Can't get an agent if no one's going to read them. You know, it's the catch-22. How do you get around that? Um, and it, the answer oddly enough, came from my father, who had nothing to do with the entertainment industry. He was in the beer business. So my father said, you're trying to get your script to these agents or read by these agents. Who do these agents listen to? Or who do they, you know, who, who are they after? I said, well, they're after producers. You know, they're trying to peddle the scripts to these producers. So they listen to producers. And he said, well, do you know anyone who knows a producer? 
And then you, so you start like a step ahead of the agent and work backwards. He goes, you know, that, that can work. So I, I just happened to know a girl from, who was a friend from Boston University who had gotten a job as a secretary for a producer, a movie producer in LA. And I asked her, hey, do you think your boss would read one of my scripts? And she asked him, and he didn't, or wouldn't, didn't have time. But he said, uh, is, is he a good writer? And she being my friend said, of course, yeah, oh, he's a great writer. He's a good writer. And, and the producer said, tell him to call this agent, Scott Penny, and he can use my name. So suddenly, I am able to call an agent. And when his, the receptionist answers, I can say, Joel Friedman, the producer, recommended, referred me, you know, to, to, to Mr. Penny. And uh, sure enough, you know, within a call or two, the agent called me back. And the phone call, I'll never forget, lasted all of seven seconds. He said, uh, you're a writer. Yep. You got a script. Yep. I'll read it. Send it in. I'll read it. The first 10 pages, if I like it, we'll talk. If not, you know, good luck to you. Okay. Thank you very much, Sir Penny. And he's gone. Wow. He's gone. Like, but I'm ecstatic. Oh, shit. All right. So I send him my scripts. And I got, I called, I didn't hear anything. Then I called and followed up. And eventually, like three weeks later, and he's like, hey, you know what I did? I read them and and they're pretty good. They're, you know, I I, I liked them. Uh, and they ended this agency uh, called the Ben Conway Agency, which had never sold a feature film, but had a decent presence in television. Signed me to what's called a hip pocket deal, which means they're not really your agent, but you can kind of say they're your agent. Like they're not going to go out of their way to like sell your stuff around town or promote you, but you can promote yourself and you can say, oh yeah, I'm with the Ben Conway agency. So now producers and stuff feel like they can read your work. So that's how I got my agent. And that was that was a big that's a big road hurdle or roadblock for every aspiring screenwriter. And that's just how I got mine. Do you think that there are other pathways or any sort of proven pathway to get an agent or to to get a start? Or do you think it's different for every single writer? I think uh, it's different for every writer. Um, I think I know my wife was in film school at UCLA uh, grad school. And she won a student writing competition called the Goldwyn. And right away, like young agents were on the lookout for those, those people. And so uh, it got her, they, they read her script. They wanted to read her script. And when, once she got read like that, she got, she signed with an agent. Uh, and uh, so she was off and running. So there, there's that way. I, I imagine like 
you know, there's all these film festivals. I think that uh, if you were to win or get any accolades at all in, in any film festival, I would think that that's, you know, a great thing to drop on an agent or a manager to try to get their interest and get them to read your piece. Um, and these days, a lot of it is managers, too. You know, instead of agents, you know, a lot of it's, sometimes it's easier to get a manager than an agent. Don't ask me why. I guess that I don't know. Maybe there's more managers. I don't know. It's just easier. And I think they're just as effective. Once this agent had, I'm going to say, signed you, you know, uh, and, and you'd met this agent. And again, it sounds like he had read just both of your spec uh, TV shows at that point. What happened next for you career wise? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> not a damn thing, really. Uh, he he got me a courtesy meeting with uh, one of his clients who was a story editor on one of the Stephen J. Canal shows back in the day. I can't remember which one, but it was. But I was like, oh, my God, I was like you know, 23 years old, I was like ner- covered in nervous sweat. I didn't know what the hell I was doing and nothing came of it. Uh, so I went back to just writing my spec stuff and I what, I watched MacGyver and I was watching and I was like, you know, MacGyver's kind of cool, but he's kind of not, you know, and maybe I could do a MacGyver episode that's a little more edgy and you know, maybe that would be kind of neat. So I did one, worked on it on my own for quite a while and did a lot of research and and, and finished it. And uh, it went nowhere. You know, there was nothing. The agent, I think, read it and liked it enough, but wasn't going to sell it. And then a very lucky break happened. They used to have something in those days called the Hollywood Newsletter. And it was just this subscription newsletter rag, kind of like a website is today for for screenwriters or aspiring screenwriters. And I would I would I subscribed, and it would come in the mail. And and uh, I read an interview with the store a story editor or the story editor of MacGyver, and he seemed like a really nice guy. He was up in Canada. His name was Rick Drew, and. Um, just seemed like such a cool guy. So I called the production office, I guess. I think I called up in Canada. I, I must, I called Canada and I said, uh, you know, Hey, Mr. Drew, uh, I read the interview, uh, you did in script writer pamphlet or leaflet. It's not, it wasn't even a magazine. I mean, it really was just like this news rag um and i wrote a spec episode of macgyver do you think you can read it uh just to tell me if you think it would be a good sample of my writing to show around town and try to get work you know it was no pressure like hey would you read my script and maybe you guys buy it and all this other stuff and hire me and it was nothing like that it was just like i didn't want to put any pressure on the guy it was like you know just tell me if you think like it's a good writing sample to get into the business. He's like, yeah, all right, pouch it up. So I drove 
I think I had a Suzuki 700 motorcycle back then. Yes. I it over to Paramount and, and dropped my script uh, in the pouch. And it went up to um, Canada. And he, I heard back from him within a couple of days. He read it and he goes, hey, you know what? I read your script and I really liked it. He goes, it was, it was, it was really good and a good read. And good luck to you. And I was like, wow, that's fantastic. You know, I'm so happy, like some encouragement from somebody who's in the business. And he called back too late, two days later. And he said, Hey, uh, we just bought your script. Can you fly up here to Vancouver tomorrow? We're going to shoot it to work on rewrites. (laughs) I was like, what? And what I didn't know was that you know, a script had come in from one of the writer producers that the exec producer, Steve Downing, didn't like. You know, I guess it just didn't, wasn't up to what they had hoped. And so they were stuck and they were like, what are we going to shoot this week? You know, this script we were counting on isn't working. And Rick Drew raised his hand and said, you know, I just read a spec script that came up from some kid in L.A., and it's pretty good. The Steve Downey said, well, let me read it. And, or what is it? And then let me read it. And he read it and he said, get him up here. We're buying this. We're doing this one. So, you know, within two days, I'm up in the production offices and, and on of MacGyver and we're doing my show. And uh, it was awesome. You know, I mean, it was really head spinning, you know. And uh, I had been on a, a few, I had been on a lot of sets for commercials, you know, because my first job was, you know, driving that truck, prop truck or equipment truck, or, and we used to shoot a lot of commercials. So, you know, I knew kind of, you know, what most people did, but not like this, you know, not with all the track, all, not with all the tractor trailers and the, and the craft service <laughs> and all yes. that stuff. And Rick Drew was great. He was the story editor and he just sort of like totally walked me through, you know, the table read and the rewrites as we, and, and, you know, how to make this, this script shootable, you know, because it's, it's really different than, you know, like there's sort of the script that you write to sell. And then it reads great and all this stuff. And then there's the script that you write to, to shoot, which is a lot leaner and a lot more, um, you know, locations get consolidated, characters get cut out or consolidated. Everything gets kind of truncated a little bit, you know, to make it shootable. So he walked me through all that very graciously. And, uh, and then they shot my episode of MacGyver and, and then, uh, the writers went on strike right after and I was out of work again. (laughs) So, uh, and that's how I got started. That was my first sale. It's incredible. Did, did you end up writing additional episodes later or ever getting hired as a staff writer for MacGyver? No, they asked me to come up with more ideas and I did. But then once the strike ended, I reached out to them and they had moved on. You know, the the exec producer, maybe he had found some 
other people, you know, that he wanted to work with, or, you know, he had a long career in television. So they moved on and I was kind of left back at square one. But now I felt like I had an, enough experience to try the feature. Yeah. You know, and I had the idea for Flatliners. I had had it for a while. And I said, now, what the hell else am I going to do? Now's the time. So I sat down, just started writing this spec feature and using people who I knew as the characters, you know, to really ground it and make them real and sort of unique. They were all based on young people who I worked with at the ad agency or people who I knew, like my friends. Because we were all of that generation. And uh, I wrote that script. Took almost, I'll bet it almost took a a year. You know, it probably took nine or ten months. You know, people say, oh, you know, it wrote itself. Or, you know, that's true for maybe some people. But for me, it's always a kind of a slow grind. You know, I'm, I, I, uh, and, uh, I wrote that and I gave it to my agent, Ben Conway. It's funny. They were, they, I went in for a meeting and, and uh, just to catch up and Scott Penny said, well, what are you writing? What are you working on? I said, I'm doing the features, spec feature. It's called the flatliners. What's it about? And I told him and he said, needs a new title. <laughs> That's what he told me. Uh, but anyway, I wrote the script gave it to those guys and I got a call from the agent and Ben Conway himself, the big boss. And he said, Peter, he said, this is the best feature script I've ever read. Wow. And I was like, wow. And he was like, this is, you know, and he was excited. They had never sold a feature and they went out with it. And, you know, within, I mean, two or three days we had five or six buyers you know bidding against each other and uh it was just different in those days you know like the town really uh encouraged spec writers and new writers and new voices and people read and everyone like would look at variety for the spec sale of the week and you know uh, I don't know if that exists anymore. You know, I don't know if they read like that now that, you know, everything, they want so much of it to be uh, based on an IP, you know, based on an intellectual, on an existing property, a book, or even I'm doing like based on a book, based on a short story, based on, it's very hard to do an original anymore because you know they they can save a lot of money the the the, an ip has name recognition and it's easier to promote it they save a lot of money that way it's just harder but anyway they that thing sold and scott rudin who who stayed on it's it's some capacity uh michael douglas was the producer but uh they got joel schumacher he read it someone got i think I don't know. You know, you never know exactly who got what to who, but I know Joel read it and liked it and wanted to do it. 
and I met with him and he said, I hear you're, you, you work on MacGyver or something. And I go, well, I did. <laughs> and, uh, they, they said, well, when can you start working with Joel on the rewrites? And I said, uh, I could work, I, we could start tomorrow. And Joel was like, so can I. And so he and I just dove in and, you know, within three or four months, we were shooting. I mean, it was so fast, you know, like casting was fast because the roles were cool. You know, they were smart characters, young. Um, and uh, and Joel had such a great reputation of breaking, you know, and making careers, young people's careers, you know. He had done Lost Boys, St. Almost Fire. You know, he had he had this great career of working with young people. So he had uh, he had his pick. And uh and that was just, you know, that was career making and life changing film for me. Yeah. And it's an incredible movie. Like it it oh, is I mean, everything that that uh, that producer was saying, I mean, it is genius. It's, it's so much fun. It was remade just a few years ago. Yeah. Um, what was that like seeing something that, again, was career launching, life changing, uh, come back to life a second time? I was wildly flattered, you know, really, you know, that, you know, that people that these that people are still interested in it you know that that the story you know that, that that they would go for it again and uh you know i wish it had turned out that you know um that it was more of a success and that somehow it's you know spurned a whole franchise you know like look at chucky for god's sake you know i mean how many you know that I think were James Bond, you know, I think that's every writer's dream. You know, it's like you get some, you get a franchise going and it just yeah, chugs along on its own. Uh, you know, it didn't work out that way, but I was wildly flattered um, that, that they did it. And they had so much, they had a lot of great talent attached to it, you know, as well. And uh, uh, same with the craft when they remade that one, you know, I mean, I'm always up for like, other people's interpretation of my stuff. And I know like Stephen King's always up for other people's interpretation of his stuff. You know, it's just, I did it my way, you know, and, and I always hope that someone can do it better than me. I love that. Uh, what's next for you? Like, what are you working on right now? Uh, season two of Chapel Wait, trying to get that going. For epics, um, we did sell them. My brother and I uh, that splatter western idea. After all, so we're going to work on that next. As soon as we figure out what's going on with Chapel Wait, uh, there's a vampire project that I'm doing. It's a, based on a novel with, uh, and that I can't really talk about. Um, and then. Uh, you know, for fun, I made a short film, you know, yes. during, during COVID, I, uh, in my little town in the dog park, I met, uh, an actor named Roger Clark who played 
Uh, you, you'll find this interesting now that you're writing video games. He starred as uh, Arthur Moore in Red Dead Redemption 2. So cool. Yeah, which is, you know, I mean, this guy goes around, he signs autographs. He's, you know, he's, he's a celebrity in that world. And he, and he happens to be a Shakespearean actor who's really great, you know, and he's uh, so we hit it off. We had fun talking about the dogs and we just said, you know, we should do something. We should do something. So one day inspiration hit and I wrote a little uh, 10 minute script and he liked it. And I just started rounding up local talent and uh we made this short and so now we're sending that around to festivals and hoping to get into a couple just for fun and uh that was a great experience too so i i really it's funny i feel like i've done feature films on the studio level i did a wrote and directed an independent feature film um episodic television television movie uh, movies mini series or limited series uh short films <laughs> i feel like i've done i've a little bit of i i at least done a little bit of everything except a play but uh so i'm not an expert but i have sort of like this broad general knowledge last question if you could give advice to 22-year-old Peter, who's just heading out to LA, just getting started, uh, what advice would you give him? Um, I think that I would have said, be braver. Don't be scared to work with people. You know, um, uh, don't be afraid that, you know, you're not good enough of a writer to show stuff, to 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 take a job where someone's paying you to write. I, I shied away from that for years because I was afraid to fail. Um, you know, like if you if somebody's going to offer you the job, a job to 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 write. Or, or to be a writer's assistant or to do anything, take it. You know, don't be afraid to fail. Don't, don't keep, I used to run back and do specs, specs, specs. You know, that was my way of coping with the fear. Uh, and I was always such afraid of writing under pressure. Um, but now um, I would say to myself, you know, you could have probably been involved with a lot of cool projects and met a lot of really cool people if you had been a little braver and jumped in. Uh, so I, I would say to any of your writers, you know, you've just done a, a short and someone wants to pay you to do a feature or you've done a an indie and the studio comes knocking. You know what I mean? Don't don't think, oh, it's too big, it's too mainstream, it's too much. You know, I, I say go for it. Flee forward. <laughs> Peter, this has been such a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for doing oh, this. Thanks, Russ. It's great to reconnect. I can't wait to uh, to grab a coffee soon. 
in person. You can find out more about me on Instagram at writewithrus, and you can find out more about the podcast at Screenplaying. We'll see you next week.